um, before we start this episode, just FYI, FBoy Island is on binge at the moment, episode one and two. I can fucking guarantee you need to watch it. I've seen both episodes, obviously, and there is absolute fucking chaos. One of the most vile things I've ever seen on reality TV is said on this show. There is some sort of, let's say, there's some sort of, what's the word? Fucking not redemption. Retribution. Retribution. <laughs> Keep that in. Can't say where this, but just watch FBoy Island and we will do an interview with the girls next week, Sophie, Ziara and Molly. Oh. Good. And um, we'll be able to Oscar being shocked. Wow. <laughs> well, well, I don't think I was listening to the pre-production. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to interview Sophie, Ziara and Molly. So I'll be posting some question boxes on my socials asking you what you want to know. I think I can guess what you want to know, um, but uh, we'll have a great chat with the girls then and maybe later in the season as well. So here is my chat now, though, with the amazing Kemi. A listener production. This podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to. I hope. I hope you can enjoy this episode. I think that you definitely will. Um, hopefully, it will be mind blowing and life changing, like the conversation that I got to have with this amazing woman, Kemi Nekfapil. Hello, Kemi. How are you? Hi, Abby. So lovely to be here with you. Oh, Kemi, I just love you so much. So everyone, I had the pleasure of being on Kemi's. It's an um, audible series, is is what you call it isn't it? Yes. yes. Um, so I was interviewed and kind of, uh, I guess, mildly coached by Kemi. We had an amazing conversation and she just, she feels like home and she smells like roses <laughs> and she's just, I, I left the conversation. Obviously I went in there and interviews can sometimes be a, be a bit bleh. And um, it was going to be a long interview and I hadn't, I'd spoken to you on Zoom before. I loved you on Zoom. And then in person, you were even better. And it was just the most enriching, amazing conversation I'd had in so long. And I just feel you have so much to give to people. And I'm so thrilled you are taking the time to talk to myself, and my audience today. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm not Dan Savage. Who I know. Very You're close excited. to it though. My love for you, Kemi, you've no idea. Really? Yep. Getting close you. to Dan. Getting oh, close. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm done. I could just, I could just leave the conversation now. <laughs> oh my God. So Kemi, you are the host of Power Talks, like we said on Audible, host of the Shift series and the author of the best-selling book, Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. So I guess my first question is, how did you get here to the place where you were able to be so, you seem so content and wise and you have so much to give. How do you think you got to this space to be able to give so much to people? Oh my gosh. How long do we have? Hit me. Oh, <laughs> as long as you want, Dal, as long as time as you got. Well, you know, the book Power came from a place of me learning how to take ownership and build a sense of power for myself in a world where Women, number one, are told that we must remain small, otherwise we will be penalised and punished, and we know that's true. And then to add intersectionality of being a black woman, there's another level of penalisation for that, 
And anyone that is identified with a marginalised community knows what it's like where we turn ourselves inside out so that we can feel safe in spaces that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. So for me to write Power, you know, that is not a book I could have written for the first half of my life because I didn't know that I could have power, didn't know I had it, thought it just belonged to straight white men in suits. And I wanted to redefine what power is for the rest of us. And when did that change come for you from realising that, it isn't just for straight white men in suits. So I think a lot of people, particularly women of colour, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but it, it can be very difficult to kind of break free of that, of those power structures that exist. Yeah, 100%. And even to be honest, when I speak to mixed female audiences, it doesn't actually matter their ethnicity. Mm. Most people's experience of power is of a white man in a suit. Mm, mm. And I'm married to one as well. That Maybe that's when I realised. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, they leave their pants on the bloody floor. There's no power in that, for God's sake. Maybe that's, that's when I realised my power. I'm yes. not going to pick them up. Yes. <laughs> but for me, it's been a series of things. I think one of the most powerful things happened to me when I was 16 years old. And that age at 16 where you're sort of trying to find your identity and the most important thing is having a partner, a girlfriend or boyfriend of some sort, just anything, anybody, because all your friends have. And I was the only black girl in my school. I was not considered attractive by anyone in that school. And I remember it just making me feel very sad Mm. all the time. And I remember looking in the mirror. Um, We had PE, physical education, that's what it's called in the UK, And I had this kind of divine download. And what I mean by that is that it definitely came from outside of me. It didn't come, the voice didn't come from inside of me. It was outside of me. And it basically said, if you keep comparing yourself to other people, you are never going to be happy. Mm. And at 16, I just knew it was true. And maybe it was so obvious for me because I couldn't be the people around me. Like there was no way that I was going to become the princess in the fairy tale and there was no prince coming to save me, which has been a gift knowing that, you know, there's no princes that look like you. Not when I grew up. Mm. It meant that I've never waited for a prince. Um, but I think the reason it landed for me so clearly, truly, because I knew I couldn't be what I was comparing myself to. So I knew I was going to be unhappy if I kept doing that. So I just believed it. That was probably my first power moment. Was it like you were faking it till you, you you made it a little bit or did you have a genuine epiphany in that moment at the age of 16? No, it was a genuine, it was wow. a genuine epiphany. Wow. Yeah. And things just changed for you from then because you were pushed to a point where you realised that you couldn't be those around you. I think a lot mm, of people listening yeah. will, will relate to that feeling and they mightn't find it as easy to just flip a switch and, and change. So what advice would you have to them if they hold on to that piece of advice from you and, and those thoughts from 16-year-old Kemi in PE, maybe they can think it, maybe they don't believe it though for themselves. Do you have any advice mm-hmm. people that just to get across the line, to fully believe it? Yeah. Now, you know, Abby, I don't give advice. Oh, yeah, you don't. Coach, Sorry, you don't. But, but, but. How would you something? feel? Yeah, that that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm what hearing, you, what okay, what you, you might say. What are you hearing? Yes, what are you feeling, Kevin? <laughs> or what am I feeling? Yeah. I think the most important thing, you know, part of what we explore in the session that we had together mm. is for people to get in tune with their body 
when they're comparing themselves to other people and to really listen to those messages. And then sometimes we can take it into their head of why am I comparing myself to that person? And it may be because you want what they have, the sort of relationship they have, the sort of career they have, the opportunities, and that is fine. Mm. But it's the difference between being jealous of someone, which can keep us kind of paralysed, as opposed to that person is embodying what I believe I want, what is it that I need to do to get that? Mm. But then there's the other side of that, Abby, which is when we check in with our bodies, it may be, oh, I think I should want that, but actually I don't. Or I'm not willing to do the work that it's going to take to get what that person has. So I'm happy to observe it from a distance, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually not going to invest into that. Mm. Wow. That's so true. Cammy, love you, Queen. Um, (laughs) She speaks and I go, Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think as well as as women, we are. Ta- it's it's this funny thing where we are taught to always be competitive with each other, especially whether it's in regards to who we're dating or how we look or, or what successes we have. But at the same time, we are never allowed to admit it that we do envy someone or that we do want something someone else has. So I think there's even obviously power in you saying that it's okay to want what someone else has, but it's how you react to that. 100%. And I think there's even something what you just said, Abby, that as women, we're trained to be competitive. I don't think that's true. You don't? I think, no, look, it does depend on the people that we spend our time with. So I've been in the acting industry, Mm. very competitive industry. But I also think that women have such a level of power that a narrative that supports the patriarchy and supports homophobia and racism and transphobia is that if we're pitted against each other, then we can't rise up as a collective. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel that there's a whole lot of discourse um, or growing up even about not being like other girls or, yeah, the constant comparisons and even the way that that men I guess it's it's the patriarchy is pitting us against each other, isn't it? We're inherently competitive. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's yeah. What, that, right. That's exactly right. That if we come together, we're going to topple it. Absolutely. So in, in your book and all your work, when we've had our first Zoom call before I came and had my coaching session with you, we spoke about power. And power stands for well, not only, obviously, the word power, but it stands for presence, ownership, wisdom, equality, and responsibility. And you asked me what I wanted to focus on the most. And I think I said presence and wisdom maybe yes I think you did. initially but then it changed throughout our session because we realized there were there were there were deeper things going on if you want to listen go to audible get this conversation Kimmy does amazing conversations with all different people there's so much to learn I think listening to others experiences so that's a side note please go and listen to it but can we go through each of those letters and can you give everyone an understanding of how they can recognize I guess which of these there they should be striving for and are focusing on Mm, Absolutely. So as we've already spoken about, I knew I had to redefine power. And the first place I actually went to was the Oxford Dictionary Mm -hmm. because I'm English and I love the Oxford (laughs) Dictionary. And the actual definition of the word power is the ability, capacity to do something in a particular way. So when I read that, I was like, oh, okay. So it's for all of us in however we want to act in a particular way. And so then for me, breaking down the word into an acronym is kind of my lived experience. So presence is the ability 
take the time and pause, which is what you did, Abby, in the session, to look at what is and what is not working in our lives. And the only way we can do that is to pause, Mm -hmm. you know, to be present to what is going on. The next one, ownership, is to take ownership of our stories, the ones that we've been told, the ones that we've lived, the ones that we've made up, the ones we've been told we should believe, the ones we've experienced, and then learn how to integrate all of those stories and let go of the ones that don't serve us anymore. And maybe say thank you to the ones that we need to let go of because they served us at some point, Mm -hmm. but maybe not now. And then there's wisdom, which is kind of ironic coming from me as a coach. But for me, wisdom is about not outsourcing your own deep knowing about who you are and what you want from your life. You know, for me as a coach, I don't work with clients where I then tell them what they want for their lives. Mm. But I think we've all had situations where we've outsourced our lives to other people thinking that they can tell us what is best for us and it hasn't worked out for us. So it's that balance that we're finding in in wisdom of taking information from other people, maybe taking advice from certain trusted advisors, but then bringing it back to ourselves. What is actually going to work for me? Mm -hmm. E is for equality. And it's not, and I know this is something you're very passionate about. It's not about so much the global, you know, inequalities, which every, most people are doing what they can to support global inequalities in a way that resonates for them, but that actually our humanity is one of equality, Mm. regardless of how we identify, where we come from, our abilities, any of those things, our humanity is the same. So then if you know you're equal, how do you get to navigate the world? And then finally is responsibility, which I touched on a little bit. One of the gifts for me being a black girl growing up in the 1970s was that none of the fairy tale stories had princesses that looked like me. So I always knew that no prince was coming to save me. So responsibility is about no one is coming to save you. And life is hard Mm. and we need support from other people 100%. But we have to decide, I am going to make the change. I am going to have the difficult conversation. I am going to make this transformation or change, whatever it is that we need. So I, I want to speak about um, ownership of, of our stories. Because I think that sometimes when you've had a lot of trauma, whatever trauma is to you, you know, it could be, it doesn't have to be the most extreme thing you think of, but whatever trauma you've experienced or whatever context you've had in your life, it can be really, really hard to break free of those narratives about yourself and about others. And it's something that I really struggle with in every aspect of my life, whether it's romantic relationships or how I'm perceived by the media or how I react to things. And I find myself always relating back to these these stories. So what I what I find really difficult is I find it easy to identify I'm reacting like this because mm-hmm. I know that this happened to me. So um say yes. in romantic relationships I say I know that I'm go- I'm presuming this person's going to hurt me because I've been hurt so badly before so many times. That's or I I know I'm going for someone toxic and chaotic because my my brain is, is is carved into a narrative that I am toxic and chaotic and that is what I deserve, right? Mm-hmm. If we can, I can only get to that stage though of recognizing those stories. How do you get from recognition to then, and I guess ownership to then being able to live side by side with them without them affecting you? Not possible. Yeah, I think, I, well, I think that's the rub mm. is that we do have to live alongside them. Mm but our relationship to those stories changes over time. 
you know, and as you said, it is ownership, but it also sits in presence that we need to be aware. What is it that happened to me that makes me believe this story? Now, and I just need to clarify as well for, for listeners, it's not about, you know, there are certain things that have happened to all of us that definitely happened. It's not that we made up the story, yes, the thing yeah, happened, yeah. the thing happened, but it's then does the story that I made up then support who I want to be now and the mm. life that I want to live now. And also these stories that we have from childhood or survival, it takes a long time to unpick these stories. Like it, it takes giving, that's kind of what you're saying about um, worthiness or deserving. We have to get to a point in our lives where we realise I deserve to give myself the time to work on this. What does working on it look like? I guess I think everyone would think going to therapy, but I've done so much fucking therapy. Jesus fucking Christ! Oh my God! How many times can I say, "Yeah, my dad left when I was born"? You know what I mean? Fucking hell! Yeah. Like it's like it's, yeah. like, it's like yeah. I know. Like I, I and when you go to a new therapist, you go, "I fucking know," and you have to start again. And like how like how do you unpick? Is is it by going through you know and being present and having ownership? You know, is is it learning more about yourself through these five pillars or? What the fuck? Can we help me? I know you can't give me advice though. Um, <laughs> Another free session no, for me. I'm going great. No, Another one. It is, but it is complicated, you know, mm. because for me as a coach, I work in a different realm than a therapist mm, works in, mm. especially a talk therapist. Now there are some therapists that, that are trained as coaches as well, but if we were working together, Abby, on this, let's just say relationship and your story or your experience of I deserve toxicity and chaos and you got into a new relationship and we'd be having a conversation and you say, I want to work on our relation- my relationship today. And I say, what's coming up for you? And you're like, well, we were just sitting watching TV and it was going really great. And then suddenly I just caused this drama, mm-hmm. right? And then I would say to you, okay, what happened? What did your partner say? And then what, then what, then what? And you'd explain it to me. And I might then ask you, so what do you know about yourself when you feel comfortable in a situation? You know, and you might go, oh, I don't know. Or you might say, I hate it. I hate the stillness. Like I just have to, like my brain knows chaos. Mm -hmm. I need to create. And then I might say to you, okay, so the next time you find yourself in stillness, how about we experiment with you recognizing that you're uncomfortable and not causing chaos? So that might be your one action. Right. You'd go away. We'd speak two weeks later. And I'd say, how did that go? And either you would say, that was shit. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> that was fucking awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me right. going, I would oh. scratch my skin off. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what that was about. Yeah. You know, but that would give us more information. And we would work on that over a period of time. You know, it's not, there's no quick fix mm. for this stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like as, as a coach, you're giving almost exposure therapy or, or you're giving little tasks that are going to, you know, soften the blow almost of, of these things you can recognise. So I feel like in therapy I get to a point where I go, yeah, I know. I know it's because mm, of my childhood. Yeah. I know it's because of my abandonment issues. Like I, like I know all this, like, but what the fuck do I do with it? I need practical yeah. help, you know. Exactly. And that's the thing. So I will sometimes suggest actions as a coach. But generally what happens is that actions are co-created with the client. The client has to say, yes, I'm going to take that action or I want to take Mm. this action Mm. because otherwise they're kind of outsourcing their life to me, which is not going to work because then if they don't take the action and then I'm like, why didn't you do the thing I told you to do? (laughs) 
yeah. that creates a really weird dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> like you're in charge and of I'm them. Like, I don't think I have any clients. <laughs> um, Liam, I wanted to ask, which of these five pillars do you think you would want to focus on the most? I think it'd be interesting to see wh- what you, because everyone loves you. The listeners <laughs> fucking love Lem Kemi. Oh my god! As they should. Um, I think wisdom. No ownership. I think because mm. I don't know if you know about my history a little bit, but I came here seeking asylum, and I think I had to change my personal narrative a little bit while I was applying. So I had to say yeah. how dangerous my home was, which just you know you I wasn't yeah. amplifying anything in a in a way that wasn't accurate but it made mm. me focus on aspects of my life I claimed it based on my sexuality so it made me see Jordan where I'm from as a way more homophobic place even though it can be but it made me see things in a way more uh, darker shade than I would have experienced it when I was there so now I, that I've mm. visited and I've seen that it's not actually as bad as I thought it was I'm kind of trying to yeah, I guess shift a little bit of that and attach different meanings, I think, to, to what what's happened to me in my life. So, yeah. Yeah, and I hear that because what that really speaks to, that story was what you needed to create in that time and now you're recreating a narrative that suits for now. And we're doing that all the time as humans. It's just whether we're conscious or unconscious that we're doing it. Yeah, 100%. <sighs> I did actually, when I was listening to you, I was wondering, a lot of what you say comes from suffering, really, if you want to, because you talk about healing as well. What is it exactly about suffering that leads to power is A, and B, do you actually have to have suffered in your life to get to power? Is there a relationship? No, I don't think, tell me, I'm cute. <laughs> so I've never heard anyone say this before. Oh, Lem. woo. So is that about me, wow, that's a great about thing. The suffering. A lot of your, when you talk about power, you also refer to your upbringing and you refer to the experiences that shaped you. Mm-hmm. And just now you mm-hmm. talked about when you, when you were 16 and it makes it, I guess maybe I'm attaching the meaning here, but just living in that angst, I guess. Um, and then mm. transforming that into reshaping it in a way to empower yourself mm. and others. Yes. Has it been an engine or is that a separate mm. thing? Is that a separate realization? I know you can't really, I don't know if it's too woo-woo of a question. Do you feel like you have to no, do like a oh, big swing woo-woo. to like, so, oh, Kemi is woo-woo central. She smells like bloody roses, for Let's God's sake. Woo. She's beautiful. She's like, she's literally like a warm hug. You have no idea. I wish she was in person. You have no idea. You would have fallen in love with her. I would have been nice she's to be in the studio. an angel. But yeah. are you saying then like, like, like a big swing back and forth, like to reach, to reach a certain point of power, you need to have reached the point of suffering equally almost, like a pendulum. Is it a prerequisite in a way? Is it a prerequisite? Because mm. people that haven't gone through things, they don't. I don't. No. <laughs> so what are you going to say? Men have nothing to say. I don't no, I'm know joking, yet. I'm when people have like no family trauma, I'm like, they just kind of like through life. Yeah. And that's great. Is that for their them. power? <laughs> <laughs> that's their power. Oh, 100%. Nice. Do you know what I think, Lem? I'm just thinking about what you're saying. I believe the prerequisite to owning power can be having to live with smallness. Mm. Okay. Okay, that makes but sense. But not necessarily suffering. So whether that smallness as in not allowed to show up as your full self in certain places. I remember working with a client who had three brothers. She was the only girl. 
And that shaped obviously her identity and who she got to be as the youngest girl in that family. I've worked with clients that are na- navigating neuro neurodivergent ways of living in the world and how that's made them shape their personality and the stories that they're stupid. And if only they could do it like this, they'd be more like this. So I think anything where the main narrative, which is that power only belongs to these people, any time that we have taken that in and believed it is true is a prerequisite for then building and creating a power that who we are. You're almost fighting back in a way from the smallness or like breaking free of the smallness. Yeah, 100%. And for some people it is a fight and this is an interesting thing. Some people's activism is to be out there fighting mm. and I have done that in my years. I've walked many a street in many a march And then there are some people whose activism is to write quietly by themselves and to share that. And some people's activism is to create art. And some is to call people out on their stuff. Power doesn't look in one particular way. It is what does it take for me to stand in the world and not be an apology for who I am? Mm. There's been a lot of talk recently and we did a podcast about it. I think Lemmy were away. We talk about therapy speak and about how sometimes people can go a bit too far with like over-therapizing things or over and then become quite selfish. So I can imagine me, mm. wow, I can go full bore with this, Kemi. I can I can stand in my power. I can, I can read all the books and I can, I can believe all the things and I can feel empowered and strong. But I would be fearful that I would take it too far and become, become selfish. So how do we stand in our power while also maintaining empathy and softness and understanding for others without becoming just like a selfish, self-centered bitch? <laughs> well, that's where the, the presence bit comes in. And also it's an interesting thing because certain people struggle with us when we're in our power. You know, I actually saw an interview with Catherine Highgill the other day who said, I am labelled as a difficult woman, Mm. which is code for I back myself, I have an opinion, and I tell people. We get punished as women. I mean, I know that on on set, I mean, I or when things are happening, I know, I mean, Lem knows this, I know exactly what I want and I will just say what I want. Lem is is a normal person. Well, not normal, (laughs) sorry. Lem is, maybe Lem also is in her power. So she, Lem is in her power. So she thinks, she she understands that when I'm saying things like, oh, I want this to be like this, 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 and I'm saying everyone time, that it is me being... you're helping I'm, me I'm out as to a help. producer, to be I'm honest. I'm trying to help, right? And I'm also being like, yeah. I know, like, photo shoots, right? They're like, stand in this way. And I'll go, but I'm not going to approve that. So no point. Uh-huh. Um, and then it will turn into a thing where, like, it's almost people talking to me like I'm, like, a bomb about to go off. Or like I'm... Like, or they label you as difficult. 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 Like hard to, and I know that there would be narratives around of me declining, declining photos and going, no... I mean, I don't mind because I, I think inherently being raised by a single mum and, and I think I'm inherently am very like, well, this is going to be faster for everyone, including me, the, the photographer or whoever's here. I know that this will be better for everyone long-term. And also it's my face on a bus. So like sucked in, um, I get to decide what photo it is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, sorry, sorry. Um, sorry that annoys you that I'm approving my own photo. I think that's a very, a real fear for a lot of women in particular is to, is to be seen that way. So how, how do you, I mean, we can say we can be present and we, but how can you, I guess, I guess once you get over that hurdle, things are much easier, but how do people do that if they don't have that inherent um, ADHD anger like I do? 
<laughs> I think a lot of women just have inherent anger that we mm. haven't been allowed to sort of show. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and a lot of that anger is coming out yes. in really awesome ways mm. right now. And it looks different for different women at different times. To answer your question, for me, that's where I write in the book about the power of a collective, mm. that you need that group of people that when you say, I'm going to go in for my raise or I'm going to have that difficult conversation, that are like, we've got your back. And if it doesn't go well, you can sob into their arms. If it doesn't go well, you can talk it through with them. If it goes very well, you can celebrate. They can pat you on the back. And then you feel that little bit more of, I'm happy to stand in the world because when, not if, but when my power gets taken or when I have to give it away again because it makes me, because I'm safe in that time, I have a group of people that I can go back to who will remind me of who I am of where my power sits. And then that's the safety cushion that we all need. You know, I, you know, the work that I do, I can still walk into a shop and be given a look that makes me feel like I am a piece of mud on someone's shoe just because of the color of my skin. Mm. Now, depending on how I'm feeling on that day or where I am in my cycle (laughs) will depend on how I respond Mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I will walk out of the store just feeling like, I'll never walk in here again. I haven't, I don't, like, I don't care. Sometimes I will cry because I just cannot believe that this is the world that we live in. Mm. And sometimes, well, I've made the mistake of this where I sort of hustled for my worth and thought, sod you, and bought the most expensive thing in the shop, <laughs> which I don't recommend. <laughs> you can't give advice, but you can give yeah. that advice. You're like, there's a one bit of advice. Do not, do not try and impress strangers Bull- by yeah. buying clothes that are bloody overpriced <laughs> so that they can know that just because you don't look the way that they think you should look, but you can still afford the things. Because then you're just going to the op shop three years later anyway yeah. with the items that you bought. Absolutely. Yeah. So when something yeah. happens where it does take away your power, like like in that mm-hmm. moment, mm. do you allow yourself to feel whatever you feel, like you said, depending on your cycle, and then yeah. you deal with it when you get home? Or like what, what's your process then in terms yeah. of the, the process is to call a friend who has empathy. So as a black woman, I'm not going to call, actually I don't think I have any friends that don't know about white privilege, but I'm going to call the people that have real empathy about that and they're like, I cannot believe that, not sorry, not I cannot believe that happened, but I'm sorry that happened Mm. to you today. Mm. Is there anything I can do? Mm. You know, in the same way that someone that has any kind of different different marginalised identity, that you have a group of people around you where they can see you for who you are and they completely understand what's happened and how you're feeling. The worst thing we can do to anyone which makes people feel powerless is to gaslight their experience. Mm-hmm. That's not powerful for anyone. By saying, oh, it's fine, we weren't looking at you, they it's probably fine. weren't doing oh, that. It wasn't you, they were probably having a bad yeah. day. No. Oh, they shouted, you know, this across the street. Are you sure that's what they said? Yeah. Was it at you, though? Was like, was yeah, it pretty. It was it at you? Yeah. Yeah. So I get I get the sense, not I get the sense, we hear it often, especially with cis white men, about that they're actually scared of losing their power. And mm. you see you see that behavior perpetuate as well. Um yeah. and, and that narrative that's driving it. So do you believe that whoever holds the most power right now needs to step back and give space for others? Like is that how power operates to you? Is it like a finite source that needs to be shared? Wow, or is it a different question, kind of power? 
I have a different vision is that actually the trans person, the black person, the disabled person, the white cis man can all stand in a line together. There's no one behind. There's no one forward. We're all just standing at the same space because the reality is for cisgendered white men is that the systems don't work for them either. Mm. They're compartmentalised. They're not allowed to have the power of their feelings. They're only judged by their productivity. You know, it doesn't work for anyone. Because I, th- I think a lot of them do feel, though, that, that they will be giving away some of their power and... and Not the ones that actually have inherent power. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, any white male that is very secure in themselves and has a real understanding of what power is, they would be abundant in sharing their power with other people. Yeah. Instead of this idea of, oh, my God, it's mine. It's mine. If you have it, I'm going to lose it. Oh, my God, I can't give it. So this form of power that I speak to is an abundant sense of power. Mm. But if I have it, I can share it with you, which gives you more power, which means you can share it with Lem, which gives Lem more power, and so it goes. Can I challenge further with that? Please. Does that remove hierarchy completely then? Is that vision of yours involving like an egalitarian sense without any hierarchy at all? Or is no. could, there, could hierarchy exist within that structure that you're imagining? I see different structures. And I think part of that is actually breaking down that there isn't one structure. We have all been led to believe there is one structure that we have to turn ourselves inside out of to fit into, as opposed to there are multiple structures Some of them may be hierarchical, some of them may be democratic, but as human beings, we get to create and mould forms of power that work for different human beings at different times. And in some industries and in some things, there has to be a hierarchy. It would be a mistake to take that out as a structure, but it's probably not needed in every single structure. And if you had a democracy in some some structures and you took that out, that could be really dangerous to Mm. add democracy. How do you see um, those structures changing or evolving if marginalised groups get more power? I'm just sitting here learning from both of you. (laughs) (laughs) How do I see? Well, I am seeing a shift. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Kimmy, but I'm seeing a shift definitely. Like it it is, well, first of all, I'm on your podcast. I'm talking, right? Like this was not existing. Mm. People in media, like I'm a queer Arab woman. This was not existing 20 years ago, was it? Unless I'm wrong, I wasn't living in Australia. I don't know. I was six. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can tell you yeah, that yeah. was not existing. Yeah, I don't And think me also existing. having the platform that I have as well, that did not exist. But you know what narrative yeah. I am hearing, though, is, oh, now you're getting the jobs. Now you're getting the opportunity because you're queer and brown. You yes. know, like there's this thing where it's like, well, it's positive discrimination now. Now And I'm just like, you know what my response is? I know it's not diplomatic at all. I love it. I can't wait. Go on. Go on. I can't wait. <laughs> but I'll just be, we've been fucking colonized all these years. It's our turn, bitches. Like, yeah. we're going to fucking take over the world now and make you yeah. pee yourself from fright. Yeah. So I, I don't mean, know. as a white woman. It's, it's a bit reactionary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're going, correct. <laughs> the, the power of the poor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Would you prefer in an ideal world to have, get rid of those structures as Kemi's saying, and if so, how do you both see those power structures or those um, equalities existing? Because people... Can I speak to that first? Of course. Yeah, because for me, writing the book was very much about each individual 
taking ownership of their own power mm. and understanding who they are and what they get to contribute in the world. And that doesn't mean a big platform, you know, it could just mean being a really good neighbor, you know, mm. or being a really good dog owner. But it's not being pulled into this idea that power only looks like this for these people, right. which most of us have been harmed by. It's like, no, there is a different form of power. It is generous. It is grounded in humanity. And the more of us that give ourselves permission to be who we are, we do create that mirror for other people. Is it an easier road? No, of course it's not. Whenever you're living in a way that's opposite to what we've been told we should live, it's not easier, but it's more fulfilling and it's kinder. And that's the power structure that I want to live in. And I have to say as well, marginalized groups, it's not like marginalized groups involve angel people. You know, it's it's any human being that has that form of power that's scarce, that's around status and about accumulation and domination, regardless of who they go to bed with, regardless of their neurodivergency, it can still not go well. Them, any thoughts? Me just making you do Dr. Jella going... <laughs> So it's more, it's, it's about, it's about de, I guess, um, decentralizing our ideas of power in terms of patriarchal structures or in terms of literal power structures, political structures that exist currently and finding that inherently inside of us and then being able to, um, enact and, um, interact with those structures structures in our own empowered way. Exactly, wow. and impact epiphany. those structures. Epiphany, epiphany, epiphany. Oh, there's been lots of mentions of community and and being together and friendships, especially and how important it is to have someone that you could call after. You got a f- racist look in a, in a shop or when mm. something mm. when you lose your power a bit. How I think a lot of people really struggle with finding those friendships. I'm so fortunate to have really amazing friends and I'm so aware of that and even someone like Lem who is so empathetic and wonderful that I work with you know (laughs) that I work with you know I even I you know I know that if something was really fucked I could call Lem if I needed to you know how can people a find those relationships Uh, yeah I guess how can people find those relationships if they don't have them or don't have those structures already in place well it's something that comes up a little bit I think what you share in your session I'm glad to hear that your friendships are you know, it's all ticking along. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, great. kind of, babe, but I, in my session, I, I hadn't <laughs> seen my friends in forever. Still the case, not going to lie. Um, but <laughs> I have been texting them more to say, great. I love you. I will see you after July. <laughs> great. So but that's I've been what aware. You need to do. That's the power of communication. Mm. Your friends aren't wondering what's going on. You've let them know. Yeah. I've been. Life is full. Is I've been touching July. Presence or is that ownership what is it it's, it's something. presence and it's ownership and it's wisdom and it's responsibility everything's a fee <laughs> power yeah, yeah. i've got power <laughs> <laughs> so 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 yeah my, my, my friendships you know like i said i've i've such amazing friends i'm a shit house at romantic relationships friendships fucking amazing so, yeah. And it's funny that we live in a world where there's so much power put into only romantic mm-hmm. and intimate relationships actually into our friendships can be very intimate, but I mean romantic relationships, as if that's the ultimate relationship. And if all other relationships, you know, pale in comparison, mm-hmm. which is more BS, it's just not true at all. But in terms of friendship, I think there's something in people saying to people, will you be my friend? Mm. Like we did at school. I do that all the time. You meet someone that you're attracted to, and I talk about attraction, I mean like energy attraction. 
And I just go up to them and I just say, I think you're really cool. Can we be friends? That's so it's scary. It's very vulnerable. That's even scarier yeah. than asking someone on a date, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> but it's yeah. it's true. Yeah. I mean, so- And also another way is to be a good good friend, whatever that means for you. So a definition for me, I always say to my friends, I'm not going to look after your pets. Don't call me. You're going on holiday. They're your pets. <laughs> Don't ask me. I draw the line at dogs. Kemi, you yeah. would hate me. Yeah. Everyone oh. is taking care of my dog, left, right and fucking yeah. centre. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I draw the line. Abby has a group. You he know, has a WhatsApp group. I have a WhatsApp people. group. <laughs> but they're all oh, dying for it. They love him. He's like the love of their lives. Well, there you go. They're the group. They're the right group. Yeah. They're the dog friend looking after group. Yeah. I'm not on that WhatsApp group. Go and invite me. <laughs> okay. But you could invite me into the life is really full. Could you make some meals for my fridge or my freezer? I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. That's easy. Do you know what I mean? So it's that kind of thing of what does being a good friend mean to you? And I think we have expectations in our friendships that we don't communicate, mm. that we can be disappointed mm. or we can not feel that we're loved or, you know, but once again, there's no quick there's no quick way except for that we are tribal animals and we do need people. Is it figuring out what you need from a friendship and also what you bring to a friendship as well? Like you are so aware that you would be fine to, like I'd be fine to pick anyone up from anywhere on a like drive somewhere somewhere or like like yeah. I drive someone to the airport, get them from somewhere. But cooking a meal, bitch, no. Yeah. I'm not fucking. You're, and I ain't driving no one yeah, nowhere because so, we wouldn't get to the airport because I'd get lost. Great. We should be so. in the same friendship group, Kemi, because um, we'd yeah, be able to help right, everyone out together. Um, <laughs> so I get, so is it, it's figuring out what you want and also what you can offer in those relationships. And then maybe the, yeah. the correct friendships will come to you. Yeah. And also that everyone's a human being. We're human beings trying to do our best to connect with each other with all of our stuff. You know, all of our stories, the times we got hurt in that friendship, the time we were betrayed by that friend. Mm. Um, and I think one thing that's really important is that we don't put all of our eggs into one basket, you know, to have different friends for different things. Yes, I recently um, was thinking about I had a bit of a menti- mental breakdown a couple weeks ago and just a little one and had to go on leave. But uh, I'm glad you went on leave, Abby. I still did all other work, but I, I didn't do radio for five days. Still kind of, but that's leave. You know, Kevin, that's leave in my yeah. book. I'm doing everything. That's I have right. my tour still. <laughs> it's still, <laughs> you know, I, I'll have leave soon. But so I was talking to someone about it and I, and they kept giving me solutions and, and like that was, they're like, you can vent, but I do want you to get to a point where you are circling back to a solution. And I was like, I just mm. want to bitch and I want you to bitch with me and I want you to fucking get angry with me about what's going on because nothing will change what's happening right now. And I've done the best. I know that I've, I've thought through every option, you know, this is like a new friend in my life who hasn't heard the last two, three years, you know, of, I know, I know I need time off. I know I need to do this. I know I need to communicate. I, I do. I communicate this way. I've tried everything, you know, and it's just that I have a full fucking plate that, that there's nothing that will change that. And they said to me, they said, you know, your I know that your best friend, Kath, Kath really enjoys bitching with you, not about people, but about situations. Kath will talk to you for five, six hours, go for a walk, mm-hmm. fucking up and down Bondi for hours and hours. We did it all lockdown, you know, 
just talking about these things. And they said, you know, I can't be everything to you. Can't expect me to offer you that bitching when I don't enjoy that. And I, and I don't want that. But Kath and you can talk for hours and go for four fucking meals in a day, you go from 8am to 9pm and just talk about the same thing in a, in a circle. So it was important to me to understand. And, and now I've thought about my friendships in a different way of like, not so much um, in an exchange way of what can they offer me, but what is this, what are these person's skills and how can I bring my conversations or, or bring myself to meet them where their skills are at rather than trying to force them to do something that, that they actually won't enjoy and then I'll get frustrated with them, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like try, it's not forcing them into being someone that they're not. Mm. And and also even taking it from skills, do I enrich this person's life and did this person enrich my life? Mm. And bitching really does enrich my life. Really. <laughs> Walking, going for a walk. Then you find those bitching friends. And I've got them. And don't I fucking have them. Honestly, honestly, I fucking love it. Um, Kemi, you are just such an amazing woman. I'm so, like I say to everyone, I've, I've, when the um, episode came out, I need to post about it actually. When the episode came out, I called my manager and I was like, oh, I'm just so... I'm so excited for everyone to hear these conversations, not just with me, but with other people that you've spoken to. I told them about it. It's just, you are just such an amazing woman. And I'm so, I'm so grateful that you have the platform that you do to speak about the things that you do. Um, So can you tell us where to find you and all your pluggables? Cause you've got lots to help the people out. (laughs) <laughs> to help the people out. <laughs> so the first is obviously the Audible Original Podcast, Power Talks. It is free to members and non-members because it's a 30-day trial. Then there's my podcast called The Shift Series, S-H-I-F-T, short-form podcasts between six to eight minutes, and it's allowing you to coach yourself through particular situations that we find ourselves in in life. And then I write weekly words every week as a writer. So that's me being in your inbox every single Friday morning with my musings and learnings on life. Amazing. And your book is Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. All that will be linked in the show notes. Kemi, thank you so much for your time and your gorgeous brain. I just wish I could sniff you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. You can she, sniff me anytime, she's, Abby. Oh, what I is it, like her. musky or like flowery or rose spicy? Rose geranium oil. Oh, yeah. Rose geranium oil. Lem, I yeah. think we should maybe become rose geranium girlies. <laughs> it literally, I wanted to just like eat her. Like we were hugging and I was like, <laughs> beautiful. And she's just, I just absolutely love you. I can't say it enough. So thank you so much, Kemi. And everyone listen. Thank you so much, Abby. Listen to the series. Lovely to meet you, Lem. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. All right, everyone. So right now we actually have a chance for you to get a hundred dollars. Wow. Great. I'm so sorry about my lighting. All we want is for you to fill out a survey online. There's going to be a link on the Instagram in my bio, et cetera, et cetera, and also in the show notes of the shows. Fill it out. Tell us if you like the podcast. I'm presuming you do if you're here. If not, I mean, give us the hard feedback. I won't be reading it. Don't worry. Producer Lem will be. <laughs> um, so if you want to give us some feedback, tell us what your favourite episodes are, et cetera, et cetera, you could win some cash. So go into the survey and help us out to make the podcast a better place for all. Love you. Listener.